We are going to start with a word of prayer and then we will get into our session here. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the work that everyone's accomplished today and this week in particular. And I pray that uh, how we uh, see things and uh, what we do and how we do things in our own own home would uh, bring honor and glory to you. I pray that we would uh, learn something tonight and that uh, your name would be glorified in Jesus' name. Alrighty. So I just wanted to read a little bit out of The Christian's Warfare. Father brought it over last night. It's by Robert Murray McShane. Uh, That goes a little bit with what I am going to be talking about tonight. So I'll go ahead and read this and then we'll get into the thing. So before a man comes to Christ, he hates the law of God. His whole soul rises up against it. The carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God. First, unconverted men hate the law of God on account of its purity. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. For the same reason worldly worldly men hate it. The law is the breathing of God's pure and holy mind. It is infinitely opposed to all impurity and sin. And every line of the law is against sin. Second, they hate it for its breadth. Thy commandment is exceeding broad. It extends to all their outward actions, seen and unseen. It extends to every idle word that men shall speak. It extends to the looks of their eye, and it dives into the deepest caves of their heart. It condemns the most secret springs of sin and lust that nestle there. Unconverted men quarrel with the law of God because of its strictness. Third, they hate it for its unchangeableness. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but one jot or one title of this law shall not shall in no wise pass away. If the law would change or let down its requirements or die, then ungodly men would be well pleased. But it is unchangeable as God. It is written on the heart of God, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. It cannot change unless God changes. It cannot die unless God dies. Even in an eternal hell, it demands and curses. its demands and curses will be the same. It is, unchang- it is an unchangeable law, for he is an unchangeable God. I figured I'd go ahead and share that. As last time we went over, I'm not sure how many of you guys were here. I know Brother Doug was here. But we went over why the nations raged in Psalm 2. So I'm going to read uh, Psalm Psalms 1 through 6, or Psalm 2, 1 through 6, and then we'll continue on. So why do the nations rage and the people meditate on a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord mocks them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So R.C. Sproul said, I do not have to prove to you that God exists because I think you already know it. Your problem is not that you do not know that God exists. Your problem is that you despise the God whom you know exists. 
Your problem is not intellectual, it is moral. You hate God. Uh, Last time we went over verses 1 and 2, where the people of the earth set themselves up. The kings of the earth and the rulers set themselves up, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and His anointed. So there's four parts. Uh, The raging of the nations, the laughter of God, the Son's decree, and the counsel of God. Uh, Tonight we're going to look at what the nations say and what the response is given by God. So, Psalm 2-3 again. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So, question. Why does the world want to remove themselves from us or us from them? No, why does the world want to remove themselves from us or us from them? Because we're showing them who they are. That we're showing, you know, by example. I mean, we should be. When, when Jesus said, yeah. we be hated. I said we should be. We should be, yes. So I wrote, because they are uncomfortable and have hate for those who are truly saved and dislike those who, Christians, are not scared of pointing out what is wrong. Or Christians are not scared of pointing out what is wrong. I vaguely went over the SBC last month and we can see many things going wrong from what we see just going on. And we can see the world turning its back towards believers and refusing to listen or toward it turning its back against believers and refusing to listen uh, we've been lulled into a false sense of security for so long that we've grown lax on how we live our lives there have been so many things that hold our attention but i think it's time we wake up and see what is happening uh, this, though this psalm was written by David about Doeg the Edomite, the one who uh, claimed to have killed Saul and taken his robes and brought them to David, the robes and crown and brought them to David, it's uh, very familiar in relation to America. If someone could read Psalm 52, 1 through 5, please. Psalm 50 or 52? Uproot you from the land of the living. So, 
So how familiar does that sound uh, in relation to what's going on today? opposition to Christ. Uh, so who has heard of Vodi Bauckham, except for my family, because I know they've all heard of him and him. Vodi Bauckham, uh, he is a um, reformed preacher. Uh, he has a very big church. Uh, he, he lives in Zaire, Africa. He has a ministry out of, I believe it's Dallas area or Texas. Dallas. Somewhere in that area, but he also lives in Zaire. I think he has eleven children, something like that. He's got quite a few. Yeah, and uh, he uh, runs a um, orphanage. They speak English in the church he's at, but in Zaire, Africa, he's the preacher there. And he also, well, recently he had a heart condition; he almost died. I think he's also the so. president of uh, the Baptist Seminary over the area. Exactly. Exactly. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? Good guy. He's good. He's got a book out yeah, yeah. He's very, he's very strong in the way he preaches. Good. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I didn't. It was like, where are we going with Yeah. So he said something that I fully agree with. When you are teaching or even talking on a day-to-day basis, always bring the focus on of the conversation back onto the Word of God. Because it is the most important to reach people, and it gives you a good opportunity to share with whoever you're talking to if they're not a believer. Uh, That's just a quote from him that I heard a while back. But can someone read Psalm 2 4? He laughs because people think and have thought since the world was created that they could go against him. It's not like God is up there pacing back and forth, wondering what is going to happen, wringing his hands and worrying, saying, Oh, woe is me, no one likes me, and they're all ganging up against me. No, he knows what will come and what people will say and do and think before they even do it. But at the same time, it's a comfort to those who are true believers because we know God is laughing at those who think they can oppose him but cannot do anything to thwart his plans. If you are God, would you be afraid of your own creation? (laughs) I find it funny because humans try so hard to be their own person. Even since the beginning when Lucifer tried to take the place of God, it didn't work out. Yes, we have free will, but free will only to the master to which we are subjected to. If you are of the world, your master is Satan. If you have been truly converted and become born again, your master is God. 
It doesn't stop a person from sinning, but by their actions you will know them. David called people fools because they believe there is no God in Psalm 53. Uh, is it any wonder why God laughs and holds them in derision? Uh, I think Father's mentioned it a few times, and I mentioned it last time, but even if the whole world made a rule that said there is no God, would that make it true? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, this is more for Father, because uh, there's a church, I'm sure all of you have heard of it, Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, boy. Is that the one in Florida? No, in uh, Kansas. Kansas, yep. What's the white, white supremacist, uh, very much, uh, they, are, they are, they use inflammatory speech to uh, talk about homosexuals and the government and hate so speech. It's just radical. No, no, hate radical. speech. Radical yeah, no. right. Speech. It's hate speech. Oh, okay. Yeah. They protest soldiers' funerals. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. They say, I know who they are. They say the soldier yeah. is going to hell because he served the country. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's all right. I don't know about that other stuff, but I do know about that. Yeah, they're horrible. <laughs> so you have the far left Christians like them, but then you have the far right that says God loves you and only says God loves you. Westboro is wrong, and this is the part that I'm saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but Westboro is wrong because of how they say it and their actions and attitudes and what they say as well. I think Psalm 5.5 5 is one of the verses they use to push their point, which is, Boastful shall not stand before your eyes, you hate all evildoers. But I also think it is wrong when all you say is God loves you. We need to be careful to not only just tell, just say one side. Uh, we need to, when we share, it is important to share the consequences of where that sin leads to. And why it's important, according to the scriptures, to show why they should turn from it and to Christ. Uh, I agree with Fodi when he says that it's not loving to your neighbors when all you can do is say God loves you without sharing with them that eternal punishment awaits for those who refuse Christ. But you need to do it in a Christ-like manner, unlike uh, the that church. Hmm? Westboro. Westboro. Uh, that brings up a movie we watched a few times as a family. It was Time Changer, I think it was. If you haven't watched it, uh, I'd watch it. It shows the main character why he should. Uh, it shows that shows the main character why he should be telling others why it's wrong to do the things that they do. Why is it wrong to steal? Why is it wrong to hate your brother because God says so? And then if someone could read Psalms 2, 5, and 6. <clears throat> then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord will not be mocked. He has already set who he wants, the words, My king, upon my holy hill of Zion. I don't know if the Holy Hill of Zion was used because of David selecting it as a spot that the Ark was placed 
in the seat of God or if it is reference to the head of the church. Uh, that one I wasn't sure about. you have anything on that one? Um, so here he is, it's a direct reference to Israel. Um, and I believe ultimately a foretelling, a prophecy of Jesus Christ coming. Okay. Uh, either way, uh, God has been and always will be in control. He is placed and nothing can be done to take him down or sway him. Uh, we've gone, well, I've thought about it a few times and I think about Nebuchadnezzar when he decides to lift himself up with pride and saying, look what I've done with the works of my hands. Then God comes in and puts him out into the pastures for a few seasons brought his pride uh, down a little. Uh, a good verse that I think goes along with this is Psalm 75.7. I did not write that down. But... but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Psalm 2 uh a little bit of background. Psalm 2 was written by David um, in Acts 4.25 right after the apostles are thrown out of the synagogue and warned not to preach in the name of the Christ in their prayer they mentioned Psalm 2 which was written by his servant David. I think I could take days going over what God can do and has done and I can go over every small detail of how powerful he is, how he cannot be provoked to do something he chooses not to do. But I think it is stated clearly in this psalm, and I know for certain that no matter what we do, God knows what will happen. And like I said last time, God wins the final battle. In Psalm 135, I believe it's 135. It's not 135. Oh, 139, sorry. Psalm 139, uh, referencing back to what I was saying earlier, God knows what we do before we do it. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us, even before we've done it ourselves. <coughs> For the application, uh when I did the application last time, I think it pretty much covered the whole passage. Uh, we need not be worried about what the world does and says, or even acts. Uh, we should not be afraid of man. The verse that says, do not be afraid of man that can only kill the body, but be afraid of the one who can kill both the body and the soul. And...